the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Thank you for joining us on the road with Jesus. And let's pray. Father, we just love you so much. We want to honor you and bless you and thank you for everything that you do in us and through us. We're counting on you, Lord, to get us through the show and bring the listeners that would want that you would want to bring. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we're going to be in Psalm 70 this morning. And as you know, or probably um, have thought about this a while, it seems like every Psalm that, that David writes, it's all about his enemies attacking him. And in this one, it's a short Psalm, but he is desperate. He, this is an urgent prayer that he's shooting up to God and he's, he's begging him. He's pleading save me. So here goes. Give us understanding of your word, Lord. It says above it for the director of music of David, a petition. Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you're, you're so urgently wanting to hear an answer from God. It's so quick and you're just saying help. And this is the kind of situation David is in. I remember one time something terrible. I don't want to go into it, but I was just saying, rescue me, Lord, rescue me. That's all I could think of to say. And I just kept repeating myself and praise be to God. He did rescue me out of that huge problem. Um, But this is the desperation that he has right here. And so verse two, may those who seek my life and put be put to shame and confusion May all those who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. But may all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, let God be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me. O God, you are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. So here he is ending with that. You are my help and my salvation. Come quickly. Help this poor and needy. And and I don't think he really means poor. But, you know, when you're completely spent and you have nothing left inside of you, that kind of poor, you're emptied out, you have nothing, and you're needing God's help. It's that kind of poor that we've all seemed to have been in one once in our lives, maybe more. Anyway, thank you for your word, Lord. Okay, again, welcome. I want to introduce you to my guest. I think I met Caleb um, Beller. Yeah. I'm going to say at least maybe 20 years ago. Who has been probably longer than that? Yes. 25 years ago. Okay. It goes all the way back to the beginning at Calvary Chapel, Fullerton. Yes, it was. Yeah. And um, so when I met him, he was in the youth group at yeah. the time. Um, and Pastor Steve Edmondson was the head of the youth group. And also um, great kids that were there. I, I was going to name a few, but I should probably leave <laughs> that out. And 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 now married and and we'll hear about that in a minute, 
but welcome Pastor Caleb Beller from Calvary Chapel Fullerton. Oh, thank you, Rody. What a blessing. This is like full circle. And I love the title of your show, On the Road with Jesus. Oh. And so what a gift to be able to kind of share a little bit of this story because so much has happened since the 25 years ago that God kind of brought you and a number of other pastors and just this intersection of life and grace and to think how much has happened since then. This is kind of cool to be back here. And so we are going to get caught up with um, Pastor Caleb here, but I'd like to ask you a couple of questions really quick. I'd like to give so that our guests could get to know you more. Sure. And, and, and maybe even feel a kinship like, Wow, that might have happened to me. Mm. So tell us a little bit about your background, where you were born, um, how many kids in the family, where you were in that uh, yeah. group, and and a little bit of your background. Did your parents go to church? That, that whole thing. Sure. Uh-huh. So I grew up here in Orange County. So Fullerton, you know, been there since, uh, since my, you know, my, I'm the middle of three boys. I got an older brother, um, and, uh, amazing guy, Adam, um, played on team USA soccer professional. I mean, this guy had a gift, uh, and then I've got a younger brother, Luke, um, he's a firefighter up in Ventura now. So my parents were raising three boys. Boy, did they have their hands full. They were outnumbered. They they were. And, you know, by the grace of God, um, both of my parents had come in their, you know, probably after their teenage years, young adults, kind of that Jesus movement was really where their lives um, became real in terms of relationship with Jesus. My mom really didn't know much anything. My dad, again, kind of came out of that hippie background culture. Um, And so both of them, when they got saved, really wanted to raise their kids, you know, with this idea of like, we want you to know who Jesus is. And so we were blessed to be able to have parents who invested, um, you know, whether it was prayer or sitting around the table and, you know, having devotionals and, um, you know, we got plugged into uh, a Baptist church there in Anaheim. That's where they kind of originally got saved and got plugged in. And that was, that was a good start. Um, You know, we all got up, went to church on Sunday, did your Sunday best. And remember sitting there in the, in the pews with my brothers playing tic-tac-toe on one of the offering envelopes or something. And you're like, I mean, it it, it was a little more challenging in a formal atmosphere, you know, because you kind of have this idea of just God's very serious. And, you know, maybe even that God's kind of angry or mad because I mean, it was kind of a hellfire brimstone um, and you know, I, I, I knew, um, I knew of the word because our parents were, were speaking these things into our lives and training us up. But I think like most families, you start off with all this great intention and excitement, um, you know, about, uh, about knowing God's word and living it out. But, uh, you know, our, our life hits roadblocks and life takes over, yeah. it does. And we, uh, the pastor had retired. We started looking for a church closer to home there in Fullerton. And so we checked out, you know, um, it was EV free and East side and uh, began just to kind of find a church home. But, you know, as a, as a kid, you know, you're insecure. You really don't want to find a new place. You're like, all right, we'll bop around, try a youth group, whatever. But at the same time, as we were trying to find a new church home, um, my parents begin going through their own struggles, their own challenges. And after about a year or two, um, we weren't going to church as often, you know, and, and, you know, as a junior hire going into high school, when things become optional, mm-hmm. when, when you don't have to go to church, it's kind of yeah. like, well, I'd rather stay home and, and find something else to do. And although I had an awareness that God's hand, you know, was on my life, i.e. just having parents that are saying, look, God's got a plan for you. God loves you. For I know the plans I have for you, plans of good and not of evil. The enemy wants to work overtime, you know, to distract, to destroy, to totally get us off track. And it was um, going into high school. We had stopped, um, you know, we had originally went to a private school and then right around sixth grade, seventh grade, moved into public school. No problem, but... All your insecurities, all of your challenges, you know, magnify when you're surrounded by a whole bunch of non-believers, you know, in an area where you're just really susceptible to caring about what other people think and what other people say. 
And I can look back now and I can see how right around that junior high, high school time, that desire to care about what other people are thinking about you, to take all those insecurities and begin to believe those things about yourself, you know, those ideas that God has a plan and God loves you and all that kind of stuff, that just becomes kind of Sunday school, Disney. Now it's like, you know, these are the things I'm dealing with in real life. And as my and as my family wasn't going to church that often, and I began to get more and more involved in just kind of the dysfunction, distraction of junior high, high school, you know, it didn't it didn't take long, you know, for you know, for that hardening of my heart, you know, to the things of God. And uh and so my parents began to, you know, become a, a, a little more uh, aware of kind of their own challenges. You know, they were going through, you know, different things. We didn't necessarily know about all of that stuff at, at, at the time, but we were picking up, you know, and, and as a kid doesn't take much, you know, before you get a little chip yeah. on your shoulder in terms of being angry at the world and let's be angry at my parents. And, um, and one of the things that I really struggled with, like I said, my older brother at that age, um, man, he was like an international soccer player, went and played on Team USA and went overseas and was setting records at the high school. He was a senior. I was a freshman coming in. And um, I was the non-sports of the three kids. You know, I was the fat kid and the goal they kicked the ball at, you know, and, and that, that sense of not living up to being like this or being like these people, um, martial arts, oddly enough, became an outlet for me. I was looking for something to level the playing field that I could again to do that didn't have me like have to fit into the sport box. I'd always been interested in it. And, uh, you know, going into junior high, high school, I really started not only becoming passionate about it, but like was actually becoming good at it. And going into high school, when you take a kid with a chip on his shoulder, that's already kind of mad. And then you equip him with some skills. It was kind of a recipe for trouble. And uh, and that was kind of how high school really kicked off for me as all of a sudden now this kind of angry kid um, who began to harden his heart to the things of God, who was developing skills that were like, you're not going to tell me what to do, became really susceptible to some of those um, you know, kids, gangs, things that were just like, you know, it's us against the world, you know, who really cares about authority. And I began to figure out kind of how to live two lives, one that my parents and people saw and this whole other lifestyle that was really about wanting to do it my way and what I want to do. Um, but it was in the middle of that, that I met a girl who, as a, as a, as a matter of fact, you know, um, that, church, Calvary Chapel Fullerton just started this little YMCA, a little small group of people. Yeah. And, um, the girl had, uh, the girl's mom invited me to church. So you want to, you want to come meet my daughter and come to church with us. And I was like, well, I want to hang out with the girl. So I'll go to church. Yeah. I'll <sighs> but, um, there we walk into that little church in the YMCA. And, uh, again, I still had this very formal concept of church, you know, pews and ties and suits. And, you know, I remember walking in and there was a guy by the name of Neil Galassi. You might remember yeah. Neil. Neil looked like a big biker. I mean, just yeah. Moses style beard. And I walk in, I've got sunglasses on. I've got, you know, I mean, I just, I look like the kid that, that doesn't want to be there. That doesn't want to talk to anybody. And someone just, just wrapped me up in a bear hug. And I'm thinking, let go of me. <laughs> but it was this instant response of love and grace. And I began to see, took me a little while, you know, I still pretty hard headed, but I began to see a different experience, a different side uh, of church. This come as you are mentality, this idea that there were broken people who loved God, that, that God still loved them. It, it, it wasn't something I was really ready to hear, but it was starting to sink in week by week you know, hanging out with the youth group, having these guys like Pastor Steve that just were planting seeds. Like I see you, I can see you've got a chip on your shoulder. I can see you're kind of angry with the world, but God loves you. God, can't. there was just these little open doors, and uh, and I didn't realize how much God was going to use that little group of people who were filled with such grace, who saw what I didn't see. You know, who saw this this idea that that I was a work in progress. That in spite of all of my anger and confusion and frustration about God and the world, that God was going to take all of that, take that mess and turn it into a message. So yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what led me, you know, right up into, you know, this, this having some of these amazing people that God would put in my life at a strategic point to where it would literally, um, you know, God in his grace kind of pulled the rug out from under me to wake me up, to realize that the path I was on was something that was going to lead to death and destruction. Um, and God really had something so much better for me. Yes. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the day that you actually give it all up for God. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I love the sinner's prayer, but, you know, people have said to me, I don't see that in the Bible. Right. Um, and the reality of it is, I don't think I formally said the sinner's prayer when I accepted the Lord. Right. Um, but I know the day that I said, okay, I'm all yours. I'm all in. Yeah. And so that happens for you too. Right. So tell me about what led up to that day and then what happened. So um, like I mentioned, that prodigal, like growing up with the knowledge, having this information, and then totally turning my back for a number of years. Um, you know, it was one of these things that I... Um, I didn't think that God would still want to have a relationship with someone like me. I had a really, um, I didn't understand grace. I had a very performance oriented concept of God's love. And so, you know, by the time I uh, would have been a senior, I got kicked out of high school. This whole relationship that I was in totally blew up. And so I left the church and because of a number of, of things that were going on in my life and things that I had done, um, man, I just went down a spiral of addiction, dysfunction. And for about a year, I mean, my life totally unraveled. And it took some people that weren't even believers that God used to reach into the mess. Okay. Were you still living at home or nope. now are you working? Left, I, I left my parents' house at 17 years old. Okay. And uh, again, just this angry kid wanting to be done. And uh, God opened up some doors, places to bounce around, people that he put into my life. But I, uh, I used that freedom to just live out like the prodigal, like everything that I want to do, thinking I'm on top of the world. And when God pulled the rug out from under me, he allowed me to experience the consequences of some of my choices, which was really, it was going to be an eye-opening moment. That year of being on the run from God, living in shame, living in guilt, because for me, my struggle with addiction wasn't so much that, okay, I got into drugs because that was just a fun thing to do. I got into drugs and alcohol because I didn't want to feel. There was that part because I grew up with the knowledge of God that I was running away from God and I was living in shame and guilt. But at the same time, I was so mad at God that I don't want, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to come back to church or anything like that. And so for me, it was about just wanting to be numb, wanting not to feel. And for about a solid year, you know, that was kind of how I lived my life. I, I don't, I don't remember much time of being sober during that time. And here I am like a, a 19 year old kid, you know, who's already got a drug and alcohol problem because I am on the run from God because my life is falling apart. And I think that somehow I've got it all together. But as it began to fall apart, the church that I'd been going to Calvary Fullerton, one day I'm at work and um, the pastor's wife of the church that I was going to shows up at my work. And um, she just says, hey, I have a message for you. And I'm thinking, why are you at my work, number one? And if you've got a message from God for me, then I don't want to hear it. Because if God knows where I am, I'm in trouble. And um, and she said something really simple. She said, I'm just going to give you a verse and I'm going to go. And she seemed really nervous to be there because, you know, I wasn't somebody that was really approachable. And uh, And the only person I had known like that was my mom. Like my mom was one of these people, like, I'm going to give you a word from the Lord. But it had, I was kind of estranged from my family at the time. They were still praying, interceding for this prodigal that had just. And she said, look, the Lord just wants you to know. He sees you. He loves you. He knows what's going on. I don't know what's going on. But for I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And for whatever reason, on that day, on that moment, it just got through the armor and my heart began to break this idea that if God knows me, like knows where I am and he knows what I've done, that he still wants to have some kind of a, a relationship with me or there's some invitation. And so that just leveled me um, to the point where for whatever reason, this church that I had left for a, a solid year, I called the pastor, her husband. I just said, um, you know, Rich, I need to, 
I need to have a conversation. Can I, can I have lunch with you? And I'm thinking he's going to say, no, he doesn't know who I am. I'm not somewhat important. I had been around the church, but I had left. And, and he just said, sure, let's go have uh, let's go have a meal. And um, for whatever reason, God was just saying, look, you're going to have a conversation with this man today. And it was a divine appointment. All this fear, all this insecurity, all this weight, this guilt that I was dealing with in the midst of my own addiction and dysfunction, as I sat there and he just said, Caleb, what's, what's going on? And for whatever reason, I just, I, I opened up. And I threw began, up all over him. Yeah. With all of the, the, the story, the dysfunction, all the stuff that I had been hiding. Um, and, and I was expecting him to just get up and walk away, you know? Mm-hmm. And he stopped. And in that moment, he began to explain to me to say, but Caleb, you understand this is why Jesus died on a cross. Like this is what forgiveness is all about. Your awareness of your need for a savior, like this is your moment. You know, I know you've grown up with an idea of who God is and, you know, Jesus is Lord of my life, but now you're starting to understand, you know, your need for a savior. Are are, are you willing to allow God's grace to forgive you? Because he kind of laid it out to me, Caleb, you got a choice to make. You can get busy living or you're probably going to die living in this, this dysfunction, this whole track that you're on. And that was the moment for the first time that the gospel really became clear that somebody spoke into my mess that somebody loved me with an unconditional love and began to explain the gospel. And that was for me, we didn't quite do a sinner's prayer other than just like, let's pray together. And, and it was a moment where I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I still had struggles. It was a work of a, a process of things that needed to begin to change, but there was also an invitation where he said, Hey, Caleb, how about we do this together? Why don't you come down to my office and we'll like, we'll read God's word together once a week. We'll spend some time in discipleship. And that was such a critical component of my life as a guy who had been involved in martial arts and having people teach me things it was very hands-on. And I was teaching other people as part of what I was doing for my job to have somebody say, look, I'm going to invite you into a personal hands-on relationship where I'm going to help you discover what God sees in you, what, what God wants to do in you. And that began a process of transformation and I'll never be able to repay (laughs) that invitation. But I think that's when the gospel became real. When I was at my lowest, when I was at this place of just like God couldn't, God wouldn't. And as I explained all of it, like John eight, when he looks at the woman and says, neither do I condemn you. And those words, as he was just communicating, this is what the cross is about. The question is, what will you do with it? Um, and that, that was kind of the life-changing, you know, the, the, the beginning of me watching God work out this story in my life. Wow. What a beautiful testimony. So you do what after this happens? You're still working at the same job. You're living somewhere else away from your parents. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you're in a relationship at that time, but whatever it is, you're, you're doing that thing. Right. So what happens after that? So at the time I was running a karate studio, teaching, managing, um, and it was exploding as one of the largest martial arts schools in California. And so little did I know, like, like Moses in Egypt, I was given this opportunity, you know, a place of significance and influence. Um, but God was using these skills because I was very insecure, both in my own failures, et cetera, my own ability to communicate. But on a martial arts floor, I could command a room and I taught you know, 40, 50 hours a week. I mean, it's just what I did for a living. And and I began to watch as I was starting to meet weekly, you know, with Rich and we're reading books together. And all of a sudden I had this appetite for God's word. I'm going to all these different services. And there became this desire to begin to say, what if God wants to use all of this stuff that I'm doing in the martial arts, communicating, pouring into people's lives, um, you know, being involved in helping take someone who feels like they don't, have any potential and be a chance to just help them begin to discover, you know, all of these new tools. And God began to lay on my heart a call to ministry to say, Caleb, I'm going to use this stuff. And I think we were in the book of Isaiah at the time. And it was one of those who will go for me. And I just felt God really kind of whispering that as we were in that series. And I felt like Isaiah, like this is God asking me. And it's like, well, I'll go for you. And Send it's, me. Oh, and it's like, take the cold, touch my lips and all these insecurities yeah. that I had. And then this invitation to be like, hey, Caleb, this is what the Holy Spirit is all about. It's not about your own strength, your own power, but it's about God working in your weakness and God being able to utilize these things. And so 
the gentleman who had been my business partner, my mentor, began to see this shift, this change. And, um, and I had an opportunity to go to seminary while I was, um, while I was still teaching, running this, this studio. And, um, and I began to, to feel as Rich was just saying, hey, you're, I, I see God's hand on your life. I think, you know, God's calling you into ministry. And uh, that began this shift, this change to begin to ask and seek and be like, Lord, do you, are you wanting to take this whole mess of this story and uh, use this for something to pour in other people's lives, whether it was other youth or other people who just kind of walked away, prodigals. And that really began to be the desire of my heart. And so, you know, I got my own place, was getting ready to go to school in terms of seminary, um, began to really develop this relationship in terms of discipleship. And, and at the same time, I was still running this, this karate studio and teaching, but seeing it as a vehicle, you know, for ministry, um, and it was right about then I met one of the most amazing people in my life. That would be my wife to be. And little did I know that God was going to use her to expand this whole vision of what ministry and missions and just how big God's heart is for people. Wow. You had me at the edge of my seat. Okay. So you are going to, you, you've signed up to do, right. um, uh, to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. Where do you go? Well, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa at the time had what was called a school of ministry. And that had been their pastoral training program for years. Pastor Chuck, Brian Broderson. At the time, that was when Chuck's health actually was kind of going through a little bit of a a roller coaster. So John Corson, Don McClure, all these guys who had been really integral in kind of the launching and equipping of so many pastors all happened to be at Costa Mesa at the time. And so I had the privilege you know, uh, being able to, you know, spend, you know, each day they would be, we'd go in the morning seven to like 10. So it, that's why it allowed me to still work full time, drive up to Costa Mesa in the morning, you know, do my classes and then head off to work. And it just, you know, every day we're getting the word poured into us and getting challenged and equipped um, with this idea of pastoral ministry. And it was for a guy that got kicked out of high school and had to go back and get his GED um, to be able to be in an environment where now academically, man, I'm like, I'm like passionate. I'm, I'm taking things like, Greek and Hebrew, I'm thinking, oh man, you know, if they only knew, you know, God using the foolish things to confound the wise. But little did I know that God, as he was transforming my mind, you know, through the, through the discipleship and through the reading of his word, I began to have an aptitude for some of this. I was retaining it. I was, I was excited about it. And, um, I just, it's a testimony to what God could do in spite of what we've done to damage our own minds and stories and to see how God can heal even, you know, into those parts that we feel really insecure about. Like I could never do ministry because I'm, you know, this educated or that, you know, ill-equipped. Um, but man, did God take it up a whole nother level. Wow. So now you've, you're done with ministry, uh, you're yeah. done with school and where, what, what do you feel is your calling or where do you begin to start ministering? Well, for me, um, I was really grateful that my pastor, you know, Rich had a heart of um, not just discipleship and say, I'm going to give you this little spot and then just, you know, hang out over here, but to say, I want to give you real opportunities to begin to grow to see, you know, if this really is a gift in terms. So he allowed me to start doing our Sunday night service. Um, I started teaching our uh, youth and then college ministry. And so I was leading outreach. I was teaching a Sunday night service. I was teaching a weekly Bible study. And it was in that context as I was taking a group out weekly to go do evangelism um, that I had met my wife to be. She was actually my waitress at a claim jumper. That's a whole nother story. Um, and uh, and I didn't know that she was um, in between mission trips. This was a girl who was living over in Australia and South Africa and East Timor. She was with YWAM, but she happened to be home. She was just saving up funds. And um, and when we met, I just thought, wow, here's this amazing gal. She was going to Raul Reese's church. That's what I loved Raul because Raul was this this guy who got to change his life, started his church in a karate studio. I'm like, okay, this is a guy I can identify with. Yeah. So I was at the time doing full-time ministry while working full-time. And uh, and I invited her to go out and do some evangelism. So I'm like, hey, you got to come with us. Because she was like, man, I really miss going out doing evangelism. And I'm like, hey, we go down to the, the beach, head out by the pier. You should come with us the next time. And um, and she said, yeah, okay. Like, I'll, and I'm like, well, what's your phone number? You know, because I'll call you when it's time to go. So I put her phone number in my phone and um, I thought, okay, next week when we go, I'll give her a call. Went to call her back and I realized I had put all but the last 
last number in my phone. 714-529-43. I probably should, I'm, I'm giving up though. The numbers no longer works anymore. So it's still, it's okay. okay. <laughs> and so um, I realized, oh, Lord, maybe you don't want her to, to go with us. And then it hit me. Well, there's only nine other numbers on the phone. So I just did 529-433-1, Now you're giving it out again. <laughs> I know, but the number's gone. So it's good. Um, and then a couple people call me back. Well, this isn't Kim, you know, have fun going to evangelism. Sounds great. And uh, she called me back. She was one of the ones that picked up and said, uh, you know, hey, uh, love to go out and do outreach and evangelism. And little did I know that this missionary, this person who had this heart for the lost, because man, for me, Fullerton, I uh, was working in Fullerton. I was ministering in Fullerton. I really felt like this is why God had me here. This is what he wanted to do with my life. He wanted to pour me out back into the city where God changed my life. And then I met this person who saw the world as an opportunity of like, what could God do with somebody who just says, Lord, give us the world. And um, we went out to do evangelism that night. Nobody else showed up. It was just her and I. And my life was changed spending time doing outreach and evangelism with her. It would be about six years before God would ultimately, you know, expand our ministry outside of our borders in Fullerton. But uh, but we started there in Fullerton doing ministry together, running the college group, doing... Um, so does she go back out on the she field? She did. Or right, but- after we, right after we met, about a month later, she hopped on a plane... <sighs> flew out to South. And I'm like, what is this? I meet this amazing person. Now she's on the other side of the world. But God gave me that time, you know, to really develop in my heart and to pray um, and began to speak to me like, wow, this is the kind of woman that I've been preparing you. Someone who's got an even bigger heart than me, I thought, for the world, for the gospel, really challenged me to think about what ministry looked like. Was it about four walls and, you know, kind of just being in a church or was it about, you know, really God's heart for the world, whatever that might look like. Because man, I thought I was just going to live and die in Fullerton and that's it. I'm good. I'm set. Um, because what I didn't, you know, um, what I didn't know is God was get, beginning to open up those doors as I finished seminary. Um, because I had been training people in martial arts, I was also training police officers, military. And some of the guys I had trained in the police department invited me and said, man, you should come out and be a chaplain with us in the police department. I'm thinking, man, I don't got time that. So just come, come right out with us. And uh, what they didn't know is I grew up wanting to be a cop. That was something that, and obviously as I started to run away from the Lord and all that, that was not going to be an option. Um, but here as, you know, I was doing ministry in the city and I was working. And then this door opened up to begin to experience ministry in a whole new way, not just preaching in the pulpit, but being out with broken people who were hurting and in their worst moments, being able to be Jesus's hands and feet. And um, I wrote out once and I fell in love. And for about four years, while I was working full-time at the church, I became the assistant senior chaplain for the police department. And every time my phone went off, it meant there was some tragedy, some situation where I got to step in and come alongside these officers and see what what their mission field was like, and not only be able to serve them, but be able to be alongside people in the midst of crisis wow. and brokenness. And that transformed ministry for me because I realized I didn't have all the band-aid verses. I didn't have, it wasn't always something you could say when somebody's lost their kids and you're standing out there, you know, you're doing a death notification and you realize that it really is a work of God's spirit in those moments where we don't have anything to say. We comfort those who mourn sometimes just by, by God's presence. And I, I really needed that because as someone who was teaching and communicating, speaking all day, I needed that, um, you know, getting outside of my office and desk and pulpit and to really experience people like Jesus throughout the gospels. Cause that's how Jesus met me was in my brokenness. And that idea of like being able to meet people and that, that changed ministry for me. It began to prepare me little did I know for what God was going to do for us for about 10 years on the mission field, which was really going to be about, you know, meeting in the midst of people's brokenness and equipping the next generation for, for missions and all of these things. But, but God really transformed through the preaching and teaching ministry I was doing and then getting able to work in crisis. And he was taking all my own background and now transforming it, using it for good. It was it was a really, really sweet time. The Lord did have a plan, didn't he? He did. So um, back us up a little bit. When do you get married after meeting um, your yeah. wife-to-be? And, and then when do you go out on the mission field? So 2001, in between um, my year in seminary, she came back and uh, I asked her to marry me. I thought, well, I better anchor this lady before she comes back off, goes back on the mission field. And I felt really, really strongly, really excited that that was, you know, well, if she says yes, then let's do this. And, um, and we thought we would have a long engagement, but her brother was getting ready to ship out. He was a Navy pilot and I was doing his wedding. And, um, and when, uh, when we found out that he was going to be shipping out to, I think at the time that was desert storm back in 2000. And, um, we, we really, she wanted him in the wedding because you ship out going out, flying overseas. You don't know if they're coming back. And so we decided we're going to move up our wedding. We're going to pull off after 
after an engagement, a wedding in three months. And uh, by the grace of God, that chaos all worked out. So I met and married my wife in the span of about 11 months. She was gone for six months of it. Not a story that I normally encourage everybody else to do, but definitely the beginning of our God story. So what we were going to get married after seminary, we got married in the middle of, you know, my seminary program. And uh, and then it was, it was about six years of praying together because she actually, after I asked her to marry me, she said no. And because uh, she wasn't sure she was ready to leave the mission field. She had spent four years overseas thinking, this is where I want to be. This is what God's calling me to do. And I had told her, I said, look, um, I really want to marry you, but I believe that I know this. I know that God's called me here in Fuller Train. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But I do believe that if God were to call us to send us, say, you know, here am I, send me, that I'm open to wherever it is that uh, that he would move us at some point. But I know this is where I need to be right now. And she said, okay, I can work with you. And I think she just began to pray and whisper in my ear, like, go into all the you know, <laughs> as we were sleeping at night, but about, it was about six years later, um, you know, at the time we had three kids uh, and uh, they were five, two and 10 months, not the normal time when somebody says, let's pack up our little family and move on to the other side of the world. But there were a number of things that God was using to shake up our, shake up our lives. You know, we were growing out of the house that we were in and we were thinking if I'm going to buy a bigger house then we're probably going to commit 10, 15, 20 years, right where we're standing. And God began to just, well, you trust me. all the things that we were doing were great, had two full-time ministries, had a great job great income, but he began to sense God speaking like, are you willing to put all this stuff on the altar? Are you willing to trust me with your ministry, with your plans? What if I want to do something even greater? And so, um, you know, we, uh, in 2008, you know, we began to really pray and seek the Lord, Lord, where do you want us to go? We don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, God opened up a door through Costa Mesa. There was uh, their Bible college campus that was out in Hungary, was kind of their missions training center for much of Europe. And uh, because of my background running a company, as well as pre teaching and teaching. They were like, we'd love you to come out and run our conference center and teach at the Bible college. And uh, because this is where we're training up missionaries, would you be open to that? I don't know. <laughs> you know. I've never been. And so we flew out there in 2008, fell in love, just absolutely felt like this was what God was calling us to do. And about two months later, we moved back January, 2009. We moved our little family full-time um, there into a little village out in the middle of nowhere in Hungary. Wow. And, um, and God really planted us there and began to open our eyes to a whole new concept of, of ministry, missions, and what it meant to live outside of our own culture and bubble and begin to really see the gospel crossing barriers and bridges. And it was it was it was just an amazing time. It's hard to even put into work. Yeah. Your your wife must have been absolutely elated. Yes. I mean, this was the thing that she loved doing and to be back on the mission field and maybe even helping you get acclimated to right. what she would have to do um, many times for yeah. was beautiful. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was one of the things that I realized, man, I have a gift. I remember some of the other assistant pastors, guys that I was working with who just like, man, I'd love to go here. I'd love to go there. And because of the the, the family dynamic, they're like, you know, the, the, the wife and kids just weren't in a position where that would even be an option. So they just was a struggle. And here I had a wife that would go anywhere in the world, you know? And when it really hit me that this was part of God's gift, God's grace that he had given in my life that, man, I've got someone who'll, who'll go anywhere that the Lord might open up a door for it really began to, to open my eyes to think, okay, Lord, what, what could you do if, 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 if we said yes? And what was interesting is she was at a point where she had just started to kind of like let go, like, okay, Lord, what if I'm, what if I'm raising up my kids to go on the mission field? And little did she know at that time I was praying and preparing, you know, thinking about giving my resignation with my business partner and talking to Rich and just thinking like, man, I really feel like God's stirring up our heart. And little by little, he began to confirm. And I remember when I shared it with her, it was just like, where did we go? You know, like <laughs> she, it wasn't a matter of like, Caleb, we have a 10 month old, like, how are we going to, you know? And uh, it was really like, let's do this. She saw it as a step of faith, as an opportunity to really fulfill some things that God had spoken in her life. And I knew right then and there that this really was the Lord. He was working all these things to together. together. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, uh, and we got to Hungary and I began to realize that the Lord had really gifted me with somebody who um, would just help take ministry to a whole nother level, seeing her interact, seeing her begin to cross cultures as she began to learn the language, as we began to put our kids in public school, all things that, I mean, as a dad, you're like really protective. You want to keep everybody in a little bubble. And as her experience on the mission field, but just building bridges and reaching out, I began to see this amazing gift, this resource, and this passion that God began to give us for doing that, for building bridges, for giving my kids an opportunity to um, really grow up in an entirely different environment. Um, and man, that was one of the most amazing decisions we ever made. So, Wow. Now, how long do you 
stay out on the mission field? We were there almost 10 years um, wow. and we had to come home. So after our first child, uh, Karis, we um, we went through two miscarriages and a season of not getting pregnant. And then we had hope. And that's my my second daughter. And she was a high risk pregnancy. We almost lost her during the pregnancy. Thus, hope, you know, character mm-hmm. produces perseverance, perseverance produces hope. And that's how God really spoke to us. And then our son, Justice, who was 10 months old, uh, again, high risk pregnancy. Um, but God had got us through all of that. And that was part of where it began. God really began to use those seasons of because my wife was on bed rest and we were in at hospitals. I had other people that I was transitioning to give stuff that I was doing in my company and stuff at chapter. Like God used all those challenges to get me to let go. I was somebody held on really tight to stuff. And so when we moved on the mission field, we were done. Three kids, two high-risk pregnancies. I think we're fine. And um, But the more we began to spend time out there, the more we began to be like, well, what if God wanted to give us a four? And that's all it takes. You know, once you start talking about it and uh, we got pregnant, we were super excited. Everything was going really smooth until, um, until they told us you know, guys, we're seeing some of these complications and it was the same complications we had experienced before, which for us, we were in and out of the hospital. Um, it was really you know, difficult. And they said, um, you need to get on a plane and you need to get out of the country because we're not equipped here to deal with the challenges that you have. And so we, in about a week's time, in the middle of our busiest season, had to leave the mission field, not ready to leave, not ready to go, but just like, Lord, what are you doing? So we flew home and um, we didn't know how long we were going to be home, what was going to happen. Turns out it was 10 times more complex. The, she had was something called called placenta accreta, where the placenta grows and attaches to the other organs in the body. And if undiagnosed, um, mom and baby pass away really quick because you, you bleed out. You just don't notice. But because we happen to come home um, and we happen to be connected to one of these hospitals that was, you know, had one of the greatest sets of surgeons, they caught it ahead of time. But um, we ended up having, she had to move into the hospital right after we got home, about four or five weeks. And uh, she ended up having a seven and a half hour surgery, 18 units of blood transfused. And um, and uh, our, our son, Cruz was born. And so we spent about a year coming off the mission field, coming back home, recuperating, um, working, you know, here still kind of on mission uh, and just pouring into where we could, our home church and our city as God began to, to prepare us to launch back out. And then uh, and then we went back into Hungary where God transitioned us as the director of the college. We started helping with some church plantings. And little did we know that when God called us back, that would be right during the middle of what you and I know is today, the refugee crisis, where yeah. the Middle East started pouring in to Europe and we had one of the most fruitful, fascinating ministry seasons in all of my my time out there on the mission field. But we went back um, and uh, stayed there all the way until um, God brought us back home at the end of 2018 to come back here to Calvary Chapel Fullerton to transition as a senior pastor here. Whoa, this sounds like a marathon run. <laughs> it was. I, I, I'm amazed. Now, I, I want to take this back to Cruz. How's yeah. he doing? He's awesome. You know, all four of my kids, you wouldn't know that they had any complications. I was just there helping coach a soccer game on Saturday. So he, I mean, he's phenomenal, fantastic. Um, And that's just, again, God's grace, the testimony of people all over the world praying and, um, you know, watching God use these different, um, use these different moments to deepen our faith, to really equip us, you know? Um, Right. Now, so you're in, you you go back to Hungary and how long are you there before you come back as senior pastor? So we went for, like I said, a little over three years and then came back for a year. And then we were there um, almost six. And so that season, when we came back, um, really God just exploded, took that initial you know, time that we were there building language, building connections, relationships, then coming home, not knowing if we'd be able to go back and then really giving us clarity on why and what. And um, when God brought us back on the mission field, uh, he really doubled our ministry in terms of the kinds of things that we got to do in terms of discipleship, church planting, being able to be a part of some relationships. The school got accredited. I had kids from China and Pakistan and and all of these different things where God was building these global relationships, which have allowed me to travel all over the world now and have these connections with students and see churches planted in Africa and Asia and India. And um, and that season was really, really a godsend um, in terms of being able to go back and be a part. We saw more people of Muslim faith respond. I mean, all these stories about people having dreams and man, yeah. we, we saw it firsthand. We were a part of that. Um, and so God really used that season to to really develop for me what I think is um, a big part of what I get to do now as a senior pastor in terms of just how we see church and what our role and how to be missional even here in Orange County. So um, yeah, that season going back out of the mission field was really, really amazing for us. Okay. So I, I, I'm recalling about five years ago, my husband and I went to Turkey and Greece and Ukraine and mission, you know, people were pouring into these yes. countries and 
they by the millions. Right. And the amount of people that were coming in was when when you look at the numbers and when you look at the camps, it's bigger than you your mind can even right. grasp onto. So how do you guys handle that as as the people are coming in? It was challenging because Hungary at the time was the first um, EU country. So the, the people would come out from Turkey, which was kind of the big uh, refugee, you know, where a lot of these people were coming from Syria, Iraq, etc. And as they got overwhelmed, lack of food, etc., lack of resources, they started, you know, encouraging people to head out to Europe. And so they would go out through Greece, make this trek up through Serbia, up in the Balkans, because the surrounding Romania, Croatia, high mountains, Hungary's flat. And so they figured, we'll go through Hungary to go to get to Austria, Europe, these places where they were being really welcomed in. But um, as they were coming in by the thousands, Hungary was going through a radical transformation of government, very nationalistic, very anti-immigration, anti-EU. So Hungary said, we're going to put up a razor wire fence around. We're going to you know, really kind of be opposed to this whole migration, refugee crisis. So there began to be the flashpoint for churches and the country and other people. Everybody was looking at this from so many different angles. And so we were really challenged as a church um, to think through like, not trying to figure out who's right, but to do what's right. What are we called to do in this moment um, in terms of handing out food, handing out water? I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. We just felt like, Lord, this is our season. We've been praying for the 1040 window for years. What if you're giving us an opportunity to just pour the gospel in, to serve people, to love on people? And so we found we'd do both. We went and ministered to the police, the Hungarian police and military as they were trying to figure out how to do what they were doing. And we were dealing with 10, 15, 20,000 refugees coming across the border. And we did it for a couple of months. And um, it was unlike anything I could explain. Because like you said, massive amounts of people, massive amounts of humanitarian crisis, food, water, housing. And, and, you know, you people on the news are like, there's military, you know, refugees that are coming. And we're just, man, I would see people, you know, um, I remember carrying a guy who was having a heart attack and, you know, trying to get him to an ambulance. And and as we're racing and the ambulance is taking off and I'm thinking, man, this guy's not going to make it. And another ambulance comes and we load him in and here's his friends just wrapped around my neck, giving me a hug and a kiss. And like, you're just, these people were broken. They were hurting. They were looking for freedom and hope. And, um, and we, as the church, you know, being able to just in Jesus name, hand out food, hand out resources, begin to have a moment to really, um, point to who Jesus was. Touch them. And, um, and that was life changing. Cause I mean, for me, part of like when I was really getting a call to ministry, that was nine 11. And so for me, that like sending people off in the military and seeing all these guys as enemies. And now here I am experiencing all my own prejudices and challenges. Like I'm face to face and I'm now like the disciples, instead of seeing the crowd, send them away. And it says that he was moved with compassion. God began to break my heart and I began to hear real stories. And I began to hear this, like, man, we've had a dream or we've had a vision. And why are you here? And I remember getting tear gas with all these guys at the border as I ended up running a, a refugee camp on the border between Serbia and Hungary when the, when the defense went down. And after about three days of dealing with this and it all broke loose, why are you here? Why would you, why would you spend all this time with us? And we began to just explain and we saw more people respond to the gospel you know, in those moments of just being with and being alongside and experiencing brokenness with them. Um, and God just used it in an amazing way. So beautiful. Wow. I, I really want to thank you for coming. This just been such a blessing. Your testimony and all of those stories were so good and God bless you for everything that you've done. So good. But I'd like to speak to the person out here right now that is um, listening right. and and this resonates to them. They may have been a prodigal. They may have not heard about Jesus and at all. You've stumbled onto the station or, or looking at this video as it's going out to um, a lot of different podcasts. But this God that has saved Caleb and me and everyone here would like to save too. I would like to turn it back to you to talk to those people and to lead them in a simple prayer. It's it's simple. It's not magical. It's God. And if you would, if you're that person that is saying yes to Jesus today, you know, Matthew says there was a man that looked at and said, God, follow. this may be today. And, and if it is, I'd like for you to follow Pastor Kayla right now in a very simple but heartfelt, mean it with your whole heart, follow Jesus today. Did you do that? Amen. And I love that. Um, 
as you were talking about, just even that call of Matthew, that idea that God sees us. Because I think we are so used to seeing our own insecurities, our brokenness, and we think that that's what God sees, my performance. But he sees a person. He sees someone that he died on a cross for. And he sees all the brokenness. And and one of my wife's favorite verses is in a similar, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy, your yoke is light. And for that person out there who wonders if God sees them, if he knows, if he cares, there is no greater example of God's love. That's what the cross is all of. It's not to shame you or guilt mm-hmm. you. It's to say what I did is enough. The worst of you was put on me. And so for that person today who's wondering, can God save even me? That's where it started for me. I, no one had to prove to me that I was a sinner. I, I, I knew my guilt. I knew my shame. But somebody finally explained to me, this was God's way of showing us how much he loves us. That's what the cross was all about. So right. if you're listening today and you're wondering, you know, can God still save me? Does God love me? Let the cross be that invitation to draw you to himself where he can wrap you up in his arms. And where you want to begin with is to say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for turning my back on you. I'm sorry for hardening my heart to you, for saying no so long to your love, to pushing you out. Today, I want to receive your love. And I want you to allow God, as you're saying, I'm sorry. I want you to hear him say, I forgive. I don't condemn. Because part of the beauty of the gospel is that you are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. So I want you, as you're receiving God's forgiveness today, I want you to receive also his promise of the Holy Spirit, where God says, I'm going to dwell in you and with you. You're not going to be alone, that he's going to begin to transform you. And so I want you, as you're asking, not just for forgiveness, but I want you to say, Lord, would you come into my life? Would you pour out your spirit, your presence? presence, your power in me. I don't want to do this alone. I want to begin to experience the life that you created for life and life abundant. You can begin to watch God take this mess and turn it into a message, turn it into a masterpiece because he's not done with you. If you're listening to this right now and you're, you're saying, yeah, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your work as your spirit in my life. And I want to start a brand new chapter. Man, you are just beginning the most amazing story you could imagine. I want to thank you again, Pastor Caleb. And if you have said that prayer today, call us here at Hope Radio, or you can write me at On the Road with Jesus. Go to that website, scroll down, and send me a little message that you've accepted the Lord. If you'd like a Bible, we can send that to you. Just leave your information there. Or you can go to um, my website, which is rahfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com and write me there. Or you can call my number at 951-817-0094 and let us know that you've accepted the Lord. We'd love to rejoice with you. Thank you again for joining us On the Road with Jesus. Bye for now. God bless you all. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com, or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project, Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.